Hi, this is Joseph Arthur. Thanks for checking out Come to Where I'm From. Please support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash come to where I'm from. We are an independent podcast, and any contributions you can make are greatly appreciated. How does that happen? Like, if that's what they do, yeah, that'd be like Starbucks making you a nice coffee, but it's but it's but it's, it's like but paint. it's lemonade. <laughs> okay, yeah, you know, but it's like, wait, what the fuck? Like, you guys make coffee? I don't get it. You can start it that way if you want to. That's a good line. It's like yeah. Starbucks. Yeah. Making you a coffee. Okay, but we're it's back lemonade. on the record. Wow. Yeah. It's like <laughs> Starbucks making you a lemonade. Something like that. That's a good lyric. Yeah. If I was a songwriter, maybe I'd do something with it. Uh oh. <laughs> so, but you are a songwriter, right? Do you actively write songs all the time, or what's your what's your practice with it? No, I write them kind of sporadically, mm-hmm. and that's how it's always been. And uh, I started writing songs in the first place so I could make records. Yeah, that's how it is with me. Yeah, I'm, I really love to make records and you know concoct that whole thing, and uh, so that's why I write songs. What do you love about it? I, I don't know. I can't give uh, just a one-word answer. Everything. Everything. It's just you know, it's like it's a magical process, yeah. And it does that thing that you know a creative act does in your brain, whatever that is. Yeah. I'm not a. You're not a psychologist. I don't know, you know, like biological <laughs> terms all that well. Endorphins, what is it? Get you in the flow state. Yeah, or uh, dopamine or something. Yeah, you know, whatever that is. It's ex- It's a, a joyful, ecstatic kind of process if it's working doesn't last long you know like i get when i finish something i get sick of it usually within about six months maybe really sometimes i how about you i get sick of things sometimes like after i they're not even finished yet and i'm already sick of it that's a problem i've been yeah running into but you know i mean that's that's uh, that's the answer is it's just a great way to uh occupy oneself (laughs) myself making records and it's fun when there's when it's a uh, a group thing. Then you know there's that other layer to it with the camaraderie mm-hmm. and just that group chemistry thing. It's just a you know it's just a great. It becomes like a family. It, you know when you're writing together with people and making a record together and all that. Yep, yeah. I know it's, it's it's good for my spirit. So. I said I wasn't going to do it anymore, but yeah, I don't know. But you keep doing it. Like, yeah. What else would you do? I've never, you know, I just climbed out on this limb and sawed the tree off and pushed it away. So it's like this is really all I ever decided I was going to do. Right. More or less, is <laughs> uh, play guitar, make rock and roll music. How'd you find it? Like your brother was uh, your drummer for is for a long time, right? Right, my younger brother. I have three younger brothers. Um, I, I grew up in the fifties and sixties. Yeah, I'm old guy now. I just turned sixty six. My my dad uh, had kind of unconventional taste in music for you know for somebody of his age and so forth, and uh, and he really liked. He told me after, just before he died that he, he, until the age of 12, he lived in a 
all-black neighborhood. I didn't know that. But that explains where his musical taste came from, possibly. But he just really liked You didn't R&B. know that until recently? He, he saved a lot of stuff <laughs> for, to tell me when he was dying. Interesting. Yeah, very yeah. interesting. He also told me, no, he didn't tell me this. My mother told me after he died that he was present. He was on one of the ships that was present for the uh, uh, Bikini Atoll bomb tests. I don't know what that is, but it sounds like bikinis and bombs. Yeah, there's a, if you ever see this movie called Atomic Cafe, or have you ever heard of it? No, but I know the, uh, no, I don't think well, so. Well, sometime in the... Sounds familiar. Sometime, I guess, just after World War II ended, like right around then, or okay. as it was ending, or something like that. I, I bet not good with dates. Testing of bombs in the Pacific? Yeah, and they, what they did was they, they cleared away this island called yeah. the Bikini Atoll. You know, there are people living on it, uh-huh. indigenous people. Yeah. And the Navy shows up and says, well, we're going to... We're going to bomb. Make this great breakthrough for humanity, and that means you got to get out of here, and we're going to take you over there. Right? So mm-hmm. that was the starting point of it. And then they basically just blew the island off the face of the earth with these fucking bombs. Wow. But they... Uh, there's another movie that I just became aware of uh, a little while ago called uh, Radio Bikini, uh-huh. which, you know, if you get a chance to see it, it's on YouTube. Okay. But it's a movie about the whole thing. And the Navy, they wanted to make like a media event, like a public relations thing out of it to get everybody excited about this great thing that we have, the bomb, you know. Mm-hmm. And so they sent like film crews, set up radio stations, it was nuts. To kind of promote the bomb. Yeah, that's that was what the idea was going to be. Was they too didn't close follow to it. Too. Oh, you're in no. this too. Yeah. Well, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> everybody He's the was co-host. everybody was close to it because they weren't aware of all the implications back then. Exactly. It. And so, my dad was there. Yeah. So they're blowing up atomic bombs, and people are viewing from like boats close to it. It's crazy. Yeah, th- my dad was there, and he didn't tell me anything about it. Jeez. A lot of those World War II age guys were like that, right? So, Stoic. anyway, I got interested in rock and roll music through him. Okay. He, he, that's what he listened to. What else did he tell you on right before he was dying? Um, I forget. Maybe I don't want to say. Oh, uh, uh, that's okay. Uh, yeah. but It's interesting, though. What did he do? My dad, let me see. He was the first... Uh, person and his family to graduate from college uh-huh. after World War II. He went to school on the GI Bill, right? And uh, then he was in um, city government in the town that we lived in. He had, like, different jobs. He was city assessor. Then he was assistant city manager. Then he was city manager for a minute. And then mm-hmm. when that fell apart, he went to work at a hospital as, like, a low-level white-collar guy. Mm. And then my mother was a high school English teacher. And this is in Detroit? Did you grow up in Detroit area? Detroit area. Yeah. That's cool. And so, um, he, what kind of music was he into? Just with that, you know, like just whatever was on the AM radio. And it was Detroit radio, which is a particular thing, unlike anything else, or it was back then. You know, lots of local stuff and regional stuff. Uh, specific to the area yeah there were a lot of lo- local hits and local artists there was a guy named Jack Scott 
who was a big star. He just died a little while ago. Died a few weeks ago. Um, he was the first, uh, you know, fair-skinned person that I was aware of from the area who was a star. It was on TV and on the radio and everything. Mm-hmm. And he was great, too. Uh, you never hear about him anymore. Even he, he got an obituary in the uh, Toronto Globe and Mail because he was born in Canada. Mm. But there was never one in the New York Times. There was one for a guy named Sleepy LaBeef. <laughs> who was kind of a cult rockabilly guy, but but Jack Scott was a big star in the fifties, and there was nothing about him. And uh, oh, there was a thing in the Detroit News and a thing in the Toronto paper. That's all I saw. Was he a national star? Or was he? Maybe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was on the Dick Clark show and the whole thing. Had you hit, you hit were records. on the Dick Clark show. I was. That's true. That's yeah. a funny interview <laughs> with you, with you on the Dick Clark show. Actually, yeah, I suppose you were a punk kid. Oh, was I? Yeah. Yeah. Probably any interview with me from back then is funny. <laughs> I don't mean and this a, one right I don't now mean is it in funny. A bad way. They're all funny. Well, the interview yeah. process is. You know, what do you what do you think of it? What do I think of it? Yeah. Uh, you know, sometimes it's fun. It's like a therapy session, or can be. Yeah. But. Uh, you know, that was one of the things that I didn't know how to do in the beginning. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but there's like, you know, you you do have to be careful about it. And uh, in what you way? have to, you, well, you, you, you know, you if I was really thrown in at the deep end in the beginning, because like all the first press that I got was really high profile. Mm-hmm. I think the first real interview I ever did was for the Melody Maker in England, oh, which okay. is like a big mass circulation thing. And. And then the next one after that was Rolling Stone, you know, and I just like, I was new at the whole thing, new at the job, didn't have my rhetoric together very well. Yeah. But uh, anyway, now uh, sometimes I, I like, I enjoy it, you know, because you can just talk. But I like it best when I'm on the phone at home mm-hmm. <laughs> with the other person. So this is a different thing. Yeah, have you done many? You haven't done this many of these kind of things. At least they're not on YouTube. In person, no. No. The only one I can think of is Mark Marin. Oh, you did that one. I did Mark Marin. Yeah. Oh yeah, shit. That was in 2012, I think. I wish I would have listened to that one. I did Mark Marin. You did? Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, he's good at it. He is. Yeah, and I like you know it's a great show. Yeah. Did you ever hear the two part thing that he did with Mel Brooks? I, I maybe because that's like really uh maybe the best podcast i've ever heard yeah. i mean i liked it you know yeah so how so how did so you your dad inspired you at the initials but like he got you into rock and roll music when yeah he was kid? the source you know the the reason i heard the music was because of him and also because of uh you know like <clears throat> we were close-knit family you know i yeah. had two aunts in the same town that i grew up in and they had kids who were slightly older than me in their teens in the 50s. Uh-huh. And, uh, God, they're all old people now. Yeah. But anywho. Um, <laughs> Does that so bug was, you? It just, yeah, well, it doesn't, that, I don't know the, how to describe the feeling of it. But, the process uh, of life? Well, my cousin Carol was like a real uh, influential person in my life. She just lost her husband a little while ago, and. She's in an assisted living place now. Yeah. Just 
about that? It's a weird one. Yeah. The way this whole thing operates, this life on planet Earth, I can't get my head around it still. And I don't think being an artist makes it any easier. <laughs> Although I don't, wouldn't want to do anything else. No, I wouldn't either. I like, you know, like the the whole uh, wild card thing about it. I I actually like it, even though, you know, it can be uh, a real gut punch sometimes. But right. You know, I wouldn't change anything. I just, you know, I don't mind that every year is a blank slate at the beginning. Right. Kind of. Because, you know, then there's the, there's the, uh, there's room for surprises. Yeah. And sometimes you get good surprises. And sometimes you get really fucking good surprises. Yeah. So, I don't know. I kind of like it. I'm used, I'm so used to it now. What's the last good surprise you got? Oh, just, you know, like. It can be a little thing, you know, just that you're going to have a you're going to have a meeting with somebody about something that's important to you, or mm-hmm. you know, like you're just chipping away at a project, and then something happens that's good, you know, just or you can get a check in the mail, and it's like, holy fuck, where did this come from? Right. You know, or you can get one for zero dollars and zero cents, which I've gotten a, I've gotten a few of those lately. Really, streaming yeah. ones. Have you ever seen one of those? No, nah, I never have. Zero okay. zero zero. I finally made the grade. Yeah, wow. just like this last year, I got couple checks they were residual checks for uh i sang the theme song to a sitcom which one it was a short-lived sitcom called men behaving badly okay and this was a a residual check for the theme song for men behaving badly for zero dollars and zero cents because it wasn't a hit (laughs) it's done syndication you know i guess for a while i was getting checks that were like well let me see i forget where it started off at but you know, it kind of got to about seventy dollars a pop, and then slowly down to zero. How was the walk? What about the walk hard checks? That must have been pretty good for a while. Yeah, it was cool for a while. Yeah, but uh, I mean, they they really thought that that was going to be a number one at the box office. It wasn't. It wasn't. No. It's such a classic. Though, yeah, it's here. a cult. It's a cult I mean, hit. It's like it's a it, huge hit. It's found terms. a lot of love. Oh yeah. They sold a lot of DVDs, but uh, I mean, they really uh, they promoted it like it was going to go straight to number one. Mm. I'm surprised. To, I'm surprised it didn't. In my head, it is number. Everybody one. was surprised. Yeah. Well, that's funny because that in that film, it's like he gets that cliche, like you know Johnny Cash intro into the music business where he shows up at a radio station the next thing he knows it's like he's a huge hit star uh-huh. right that whole sort of uh it's just so funny because like that you know it couldn't be further from the truth in most people's experience the the music business and all that well back then it, it kind of stuff like that kind of did happen though right you know yeah like there's this record i really like this is one that my cousin carol brought home back in the day Mm-hmm. I still hear it on the 50s station once in a while. It's called Susie Darlin' mm-hmm. by Robin Luke. And this was a big hit. Got to, you know, the top five all over the world. And uh, it was recorded in an apartment in Honolulu mm-hmm. on kind of semi-pro equipment right? <clears throat> where they could overdub. But every time they overdubbed, they would kill off the, the you know, it was, a, it was a, what did they call a positive overdub. Right. So uh, the the thing was, the apartment was next door to the hospital. 
Uh-huh. So if they were going along and they had a good take or they had like five overdubs and they were almost done and an ambulance went by, then they had to just start over completely. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, but anyway, they made this record. It's like real primitive sounding, but, uh, and it was put out on a local label in Honolulu and was a big hit in Honolulu. And a guy from a record label called Dot Records was on vacation, uh-huh. heard it on the radio. Dot Records was a was a big label back in the fifties, and they used to acquire masters uh-huh. from small labels and put them out and, and have hits with them. So that was kind of a you know that was sort of like a walk hard kind of thing, mm-hmm. where they made this crazy record in an apartment, and then a guy on vacation heard it on the radio just by chance, and then the next thing you know, it just blew up and blows up. I love stuff like that. Yeah, I still want that to happen to me. But I don't know. <laughs> like, these are different times, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it, you know, the Robin, with all due respect, he did kind of go up, and then yeah, it was a, it was a one-shot thing. But yeah, it's exciting when it happens. Your first single is kind of like that a little bit, though. Not maybe not a huge, massive hit, but a pretty big hit. Right? It got up to number thirty-two. Yeah. So, when did you start writing songs? How old were you? When you- uh, I was. Well, I kind of dabbled in it <clears throat> over the years, but then I got serious about it at age like twenty six. Uh huh. Late, kind of. Kind of late. Uh huh. But again, it was that I wanted to make records. Right. So that's why I wrote songs. It just was. I don't know. I just got to a certain point where I thought, "What am I doing? I got to do something." Right. But I mean, I always knew what I wanted to do. But I. But what I'm trying to say is that. All of a sudden, I, I I sort of saw a path, mm-hmm. and that's that's you got to go through that process. Right? What helped you see the path? Like, was there a specific artist uh, that you admired then? Was it like the Beatles or anything like that? Ed Sullivan, Beatles on Ed Sullivan. You know, everybody says it wasn't that. that. No, I was the, when I watched the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. I, I had a drumsticks in my hand and a practice pad. Uh huh. And a metal ashtray for a ride cymbal. Like, I was already playing. Yeah. I could play guitar. Oh, okay. I'd started the previous summer. So uh, it wasn't the Beatles for me, although I loved them. But uh, I don't know. Yeah, that's a good... Let me see. Can I answer that question? How did I see a path? I don't know. I just sort of knew all of a sudden what the steps... It was just music. What the first couple steps were going to be. And then I figured after that it would just take care of itself. I just was confident all of a sudden. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, motivated, confident. It just hit me all at once, which is nice. I mean, I'm just like, I just got to that point, and, and there it was all in my head. <laughs> you just knew you wanted to write songs. And make records, yeah. And make records. And your brother. And the kind of, you know what I mean? Like, there was a sound that I had in my in my head like a, a vision that's what it was it was a vision yeah what was the vision i had a vision it just for that sound which Rock was like roll. the sum total of uh of my tastes mm-hmm. you know and also just trying to work around my own limitations yeah i just like i i, I got it yeah and then you guys hit the road pretty hard right yeah we did first we were playing First, we were playing here in New York City because there was a really vibrant rock club scene. Mm-hmm. Right then, there was like an explosion. So you moved to New on. York, or did I was here already? Oh, here. Um, I got to New York uh, 
through Beatlemania. Oh, right. Have you ever heard of Beatlemania? I heard you were the John Lennon. I was, yeah, I was in Beatlemania. There was a, first there was a Broadway, it was a hit on Broadway at the Winter Garden. Mm-hmm. You can't get any more Broadway than that. And then uh, they opened a West Coast company and a touring company. Mm. And I was in, I was an understudy in New York for six months, and then I got in the West Coast company. Mm. And then I got in a touring company. I did it for just under two years, and it's like a really long, it's a convoluted story as to how I got into it, but I got in it. What, you sent a tape, right? Oh, okay, yeah, I guess <laughs> I did, yeah. I sent in a tape and a picture, and uh, I, got the guy, I got the gig. What gave you the idea to do that? I just thought that this might work, you know, that's all. I just saw, like, a possible opportunity in it because... Uh, I had pictures of myself where I resembled John Lennon yeah. really strongly. And, of course, I loved John Lennon and was, like, really uh, just, like, such a fan. I mean, like, you know, my brain development was influenced by him, <laughs> my worldview or whatever. Mm. I identified with him really strongly. And uh, I don't know. I just thought I, I, I'm going to try this. And I... And, uh, I got lucky with it, and but that opened the you know the door to the rest of my life, kind of. Interesting. That that's like because that keeps happening with you too, like portraying icons and. Well, it happened a second time with Buddy Holly. With Buddy Holly, yeah. <laughs> I mean, most people it doesn't happen even once. It's, it is crazy. It is kind of nuts, right? Because the, I mean, I mean, and then the, the walk hard thing too, is also yeah a shade of that, even though it's different. A bit, yeah, but for it's sure. similar. Like there's you and. The kind of playing of icons uh-huh. in 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 your chosen field, and it's crazy that it's those two because Buddy Holly and John Lennon kind of go hand in hand as far as who I loved and who uh, motivated me and inf- and inspired me. Buddy Holly when I was a little kid, mm-hmm. and then John Lennon during my youth. I mean, I you know I loved so many things and all that, but. Uh, but those two guys in particular. So yeah, it's real oddball that. Uh, Do you ever it, analyze that type of shit? Like, how did I manifest this? And like, think about the power of manifestation in regards to those kind of situations. Yeah, I can only wonder, honestly. You know. Yeah, but do you consider it? Uh, yeah, I do. I, I, I'm open. Agnostic is the right word. The whole thing about spiritual forces in the universe. Well, that's not even necessarily a spiritual force. That could be your own or personal forces in the universe. Personal, or personal, is. just manifesting. It could just be yeah. coming from you. I mean, uh-huh. you could you could apply God and spirit to it, but it could just be completely agnostic and still have the same belief that you create your reality. I think. Yep. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm, I, I'm not gonna. You don't want to Even, riff, you don't uh, want to riff on that. <laughs> no, I just all I know is that you know, like the how we engage with the forces in the universe is there's something I don't know, there's something that's beyond my understanding. Yeah, I've just seen too many things like you just like that, you know, that have happened and, and that just happened right. from time to time that I can't explain. Like, here's I'll just give you a couple. Okay. Um, I was sitting at the. I had I had a little period of time where three friends of mine died in uh, 
a short space of time, like mm-hmm. less than a year, three friends. I think the first one was a woman named Kirsty McCall. Wow. She was a good friend of mine, singer, songwriter, she's recording artist, really brilliant person. Pretty famous person, person right? Yeah. She's famous, yeah. yeah. Well, she got killed in a, like a, she was on vacation and got killed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then a short time after that, a guy named Cub Coda died, and he was a guy from Michigan who co-wrote Smoking in the Boys' Room, if you know that song. Uh, of course. He was member. Of, he was Brownsville Station uh, lead singer. Uh, no. Anyway, he died right after, shortly after Kirsty died, and he and I were friends. And he, we were working on something together, right around the time that he died. He was doing the liner notes for this Rhino package of my stuff, mm-hmm. a two CD set, and cover up the liner notes. And then, uh, a, right after Cub died, a guy named Alan Betrock died. And Alan was the guy who released my first record on his label, Shake Records. And that's another guy who just opened a big fucking door for me. Mm-hmm. So Kirsty, Cub, and Alan. And then uh, Cub, like whenever he would talk about his wife, he would always call her Lady J. Mm. And I was sitting at the computer one night, and I'm thinking, Lady J, I was going to send her something, or I was going to send her an email and I wanted to address her by her first name and I was trying to think is it Jean or Jane Jean or Jane while I'm sitting there thinking about this a, a piece of mail fell off the bookshelves behind me this is gonna freak and it was me a, out it's, it was just the truth it was a Christmas card that I'd just gotten from them mm-hmm. and it was sent before he died wow and it said Cub and Jane Coda on the Christmas card that's nuts. that happened that's insane yeah, yeah. so uh, go figure and then uh, yeah there was this other one that really that really flipped me out about back in the 70s I went to the record store one day mm-hmm. this is just like a little thing but I was trying to decide whether to buy uh, a Stevie Wonder album called Fulfilling This First Finale or Sly and the Family Stone's Greatest Hits. Mm-hmm. It was going to be one of those or the other. <laughs> and I was like, I couldn't decide. I couldn't decide. So I went in the record store, and I picked out one, whichever one. I don't remember anymore which one, whichever one I picked out. But I got out in the car, and I would always do this when I bought a record. I was open up the shrink wrap and read the notes and uh-huh. just sit in the driver's seat and do that. And I opened up whichever one I bought and pulled the album out, and it was the other record. Not the, uh. No, the cover was the one, and oh, the record was the other. That's crazy. And I just sat there like, <laughs> you know, it was. I was stunned, but the stupid thing that's was. That's unbelievable. I mean, I believe you, but it is unbelievable. Somebody's trying to send you a message. <laughs> I don't have proof, though. That's the stupid thing is that I didn't. I took it back in. To oh, the record store, I said, "Oh, there's something wrong." Oh man! And <laughs> I told my friend, buy? I told my friend that story, and he goes, "You should have kept it." Which one did you actually buy? He didn't remember. Oh yeah. Well, I have both now, so I don't remember. Oh. But anyway, just those are only two things that I can tell. Where you know, I'm, I'm trying not, to think how that even of, could happen. I guess they both start with S. Sly, Steve. I don't know. It doesn't make any I sense. Don't need, I don't know either. Yeah. I only know that it did happen. Or at least I think it did. <laughs> yeah. That's like some, uh, you know, what do you call it? Like a fuck up in the Matrix. Glitch, glitch in glitch. the Matrix. You ever see the Matrix? No, I got to see that movie. <laughs> yeah, you do. I've seen a lot of movies, but I haven't seen that one. Yeah, you That's do. a good one, man. <laughs> I'll, I'll see it. I'll watch it. You'll like it. So um, 
so you started writing songs, you went on the road. Kind of got famous real quick, too. Yep. It happened real quick. What was that like? It was... Uh, it was uh, Fun, right? Yeah, it was remarkable. <laughs> yeah. It was definitely fun, yeah. It was great. And to have your brother on board, that's pretty cool. Or was that... Was that cool or was that rough? Oh, yeah, it was great. We never turned into, you know, like the... Liam and Noel. No, or yeah. Dave and Ray. You know, we yeah. never were like that. I mean, maybe behind my back he talks shit about me, but I doubt it. No, we love each other. We're great friends. And I'm close with all my brothers. Uh, but, that, yeah, it was, it was the dynamic between us was kind of, you know, I mean, no big deal. But, yeah, it was a little strange. Because I was the one who was getting all the attention. Well, and it's also your name. That's right. Yeah, but no, I mean, I loved it. It was it was cool while it lasted. That little period. How long was that? Well, let me see. We put out our first album, and we were on the road for I don't know the better part of two years, I guess. And then uh, the record stayed on the charts. I forget how many weeks. But then it went off the charts, and we were like, okay, what, what? I was con I was talking into doing a second album right away, mm -hmm. like less than a year after my first. But wasn't that a good thing? I would love that. I just rolled the dice on it, you know, but uh, it was unconventional. Why, because it was so quick? Yeah, and, uh, and then the second album was like, a, it was a different kind of sonic, approach from the first and for some reason that really like shocked people i don't know why because they were just they had you pigeonholed into one thing mm -hmm. and then you bro yeah broke the mold exactly and I, that was always how it was i would every time i made a record it would be not you know a carbon copy or not a repeat in any way of the one before it but that was uh i don't know people were taken aback by that for some reason it's, uh, Show business is. Uh, Didn't the critics though like it? Yeah, I just caught a ton of shit on my second album from people, because it was loud, you know, it was explosive sounding, and people talked about it like like it wasn't my idea, like I got railroaded into it. Oh, they thought you were selling. ridiculous. They thought you were selling out. I don't know what they thought. You know, it just was. I mean, I really loved that record. When I finished my first album, I remember sitting. Well, I wasn't finished with it, but we thought we were. And I remember sitting in the control room at the record plant listening to a playback of my first album, and I was really stressed anyway. And I just listened to the playback, and I thought, I'm fucked. I'm doomed. Why? I just thought, thought it, it sounded sucked. bad. I didn't like it. And uh, so, But we fixed it. You know, like we recut a couple tracks. We resequenced it. We got it to where... You know, it was okay with everybody. And we put it out, and a lot of people really, really just, like, took it to their hearts and loved it. Yeah. And still, you know, obsess over it. But then, you know, contrast that with less than a year later when I'm sitting in the control room the at the power station, oh, power station this time, listening to the playback of my second album, and i am just got my feet up on the desk... <laughs> I'm like, I've got the fucking world in my back pocket. I just love that record so much. And then it came out, and everybody was really, uh, th people, a lot of people were really thrown by it. 
How, and again, I still don't understand it why that happened. But in hindsight, it seems like people rate that record really highly. The second record, they do. So, so but, I was right. You were right. <laughs> you should have had your feet up. But what was it like? Did you? Uh, what was it like? Uh, reading like the if you got some bad reviews on it. What, what was that like? Be, the, that's the funny thing is I would get like 750 good reviews uh-huh. and then one bad review and that would be the one that would just ruin my day. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and but, you know I did. It was all new to me then, and I was <clears throat> kind of young and dumb and vulnerable. You know, so little things would uh, would mess me up. But uh, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, of course. Yeah, like I, that, that's a it's a particular situation when you like put out a record and then you like open up a review and it just pastes you to the wall. That's a that's a interesting yeah. feeling. We weren't going to talk about this, but I am going to mention this just in just quickly. Is that I am in kind of a state right now because uh, I came here to talk about a record re-release that's supposed to happen this month. Yeah. And there's, I just learned earlier this morning that there was like a problem with it. Mm-hmm. So there might be a, like a long delay before it can come out. So I'm in a kind of a zone right now. Uh, but we're doing good. We're talking. In right? a funk. Yeah. yeah. You're okay. doing fantastic, Marshall. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank it's you. all good. <laughs> it's all good. We're just talking about, you know, the, the trials and tribulations. I mean, like, I can relate to you because I've been doing this a long time. And, uh-huh. and you know, I've had some success, but it has it's never just been like this, like, okay, now you're you're made. You know, mm, yeah, yeah. Like you're still fighting for everything, all the time. Yeah. Don't don't you find that it's hard to get on a roll? Yeah, it is. That's the thing, you know. Some people can get on one. Yeah. And those, you know, those lucky few. And then, uh, with me, you know, I just I've just had like sporadic success here and there, and then in between, sometimes there's lulls, sometimes there's real lulls. But. uh I mean, I will say this now that I'm at the point that I'm at, I'm like, okay, it worked out. You know? Yeah. Your and life I hope, is I hope that out. you'll feel that way sometime. Yeah. You know, later I, on or some at some point where you're just like, okay, it is. it was what it was, you know? Show business is very... Yeah. You're lucky if you get anything out of it. That's true. <clears throat> That's what I keep saying. So... Uh, yeah, the magic of getting to create something and you know, spread that, I guess. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've gotten about 75% mm-hmm. out of every, you know, like everything I really wanted in life. Mm-hmm. I got most of it at yeah. this point. And now the other thing I'm hoping I get is longevity, you know, personally. Right. You mean health-wise? I health, just hope I can live. Wise. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, your body is like a time bomb, right? It is. I just heard about a guy in my town that, the tax assessor he's got brain cancer right younger guy a little bit younger than me yeah i'm not always like this no <laughs> me neither what do you mean you're not it's always just like one of those days you know i'm feel, like i'm feeling kind of morose you know yeah but uh, i'm not like this all the time that's okay i like talking about morose shit oh, okay yeah it's fine but do, so do you pray or have any kind of prayer like you said agnostic before but like uh yeah. When, when you when you factor in and think about like untimely death or death in general, I mean, how, what gives you comfort? 
Um, I don't. I don't know. I can't. I'm non. I'm non-religious. Definitely. So you don't pray. You don't ask. Oh uh, well, help you know, I do anything. kind of actually. I don't pray like prayers, but I mean, sometimes I wish for things. I guess that's a like a prayer. Mm-hmm. You know. Do you have a vision of a creator or God or anything like that? I just don't think it's it's above my pay grade, you know, to try to yeah. do that. And also, I mean, I, you know, I really have mixed feelings about the whole thing. I was raised um, Catholic, mm-hmm. went to catechism class. Right. But uh, <clears throat> my dad converted to Catholicism. He was raised in a... It was like a Southern Baptist kind of church. Okay. It was all white people, though, but, you know, they would, like, act out, and it was, like, real high-spirited, and, okay. you know, the preacher was real fire and brimstone kind of thing. I would get, you know, taken to my grandma's Cren- Grandma Crenshaw's church once in a while, you know, when I was used to the Catholic church where everybody whispered, mm. and then I'd go to this one with my dad's relatives, and it would just be like, you know— this big show and it was like shocking to me mm-hmm. but anyway that's he grew up maybe in that. that's where you got rock and roll from yeah who knows it's certainly i mean rock and roll certainly did has gospel roots right and jazz roots, absolutely all that but um anyway my dad grew up in that church and then he converted to catholicism when he married my mother because that was what you did back then so we were he was we were kind of ambivalent catholics anyway uh-huh. My mother too, but she just like sent me <clears throat> there to make her parents happy, I think, or something. But uh, I didn't like it, you know. I mean, I got to not like it at all. By the time I was about ten years old, I didn't like it anymore. And then I remember one Sunday, we didn't go to church, and you never went back. I'm like, what happened? I didn't want to say anything, right? Because you didn't want to. Because I was jinx afraid. It. Oh, well, let's go. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't say anything, and then the next Sunday rolled around. No church. No church. They fuck. They skipped it. I was like, "Fuck!" And then about <laughs> after about five weeks, I asked my mother, and she That's goes, so "No, funny. we're not going to go anymore." Why? Did she give you an answer? They were, uh, <clears throat> you know, I don't remember exactly, but it was some Vatican ruling that they didn't like. I see. Something or other where they just suddenly felt estranged from it. Make right. it stand. And I was like, yeah. oh, good news. We're not going to go anymore. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I guess that's I, how I felt about it. I ask about all that stuff because it's like when I think of, you know, brain tumors and impending doom and all that, I I need, like, I consider it a, like almost a weakness, but I need to, like, think there's something you know like hey please help uh-huh like i ask for help sometimes and you know like frequently and i just don't i guess understand how people are riding through this without that security blanket oh. whether it's fact or fiction <clears throat> uh-huh. you, know, you know what i mean i'm not, you know yeah so that just i that just seems curious to me it, yeah well i mean i do really love life honestly so I'm happy enough with that, you know, for right now. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, just deal with this right now. Yeah. And it's and that's fine. But as far as, uh, I mean, I do have a tendency to think that, I don't know, but uh, it seems to me like there's some kind of spiritual energy that lives on after you're gone or I, after people are gone. I think so. 
It kind of it's I don't know it almost somebody seems put like Stevie, it stands to reason somebody put Stevie Wonder's me. album in that Sly and the Family Stone dude I'm just kidding right and we still think and talk yeah. about I don't know I just I can't help I wonder is all I can do is wonder but right. I do I do you know it's one of the things I am preoccupied with sometimes just well what does it all mean you know all this shit that happens and that thing that happened what does that mean you know right but i don't know what it means yeah i don't know i don't know any what anything means either but i definitely think things have a meaning i don't feel like we're just this is meaningless but it could be i don't know like no i don't think it is either i don't feel it's not meaningless to me yeah Yeah, I think making music is a way of celebrating it and bringing that, you know, and kind of revealing the spirit behind things, too. Uh-huh. Do you think of it like that ever? Like a spiritual practice? or? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Some music is uh, really, you know, is an expression of spirituality, you know, a lot of it. Could say all of it, maybe. Well, not all of it, because there's hack work, you know? Yeah. And that's just an expression of hack work, but, you know, when it's good, it's... Some spirits are hacky. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, you know, just because it's in the spirit world doesn't mean it's not full of hacks, too. There's hacks in the spirit world. You could be right about that. Yeah, I think I am. We are hacks in the material... No, that's... Spirits in the material world. Yeah, I got that confused for yeah. a second. So, are you you've been putting out a bunch of EPs, right? Or was mm. that that was a few years ago? Yeah, that was during 2013. Yeah, through 2016. Yeah, you didn't want to put out albums anymore. That's right. Why? Um, why is that? Well, you know, for one thing, I'm a, that's like how I. How I like to listen to stuff anyway. You know, I grew up... A few songs at a time. I grew up with singles. Right. And to me, you know, like the highest manifestation of a rock and roll record is a hit single or a good single. Mm-hmm. And just, that's how I am, you know. And like, even when I did buy lots of albums, it seems like when I was doing, you know, I went... I, I was, do a lot of intensive listening, but I would just listen to individual tracks on albums. Like mm-hmm. there was a period of time when I was, I was playing in a bar band. This is in the seventies. Still living at my parents' house, although I was gone a lot. But you know, I'd come home from my bar band gigs, and I just want to listen to music. And so I'd grab a bunch of albums and a bunch of singles, and just kind of skip around. I was never like an al- like an album guy. No. We have a mutual friend, Ehud and I, Rich Pagano. You know Rich? I know Rich. Yeah, I played uh, some of his events before. Rich is really great. And uh, I went to see this. Great drummer. Yes, he is. And I went to see this act that he has, this group, that this show that he does called Early Elton, mm-hmm. where they do all these album tracks from early Elton John albums, mm-hmm. you know. With John Conti and uh, Jeff Cassie. That's right. And I was watching them, and they're just like, they're so deep into this music, you know, they just know every little note of it. And I'm trying to think, okay, what was I obsessing over when they were obsessing over Elton John albums? What was it it that I was into that way? And I I realized it was Top 40 Radio, Uh and it was stuff, you know, it was like Gamble and Huff, 
and uh, you know, just or till you come back to me by Aretha Franklin. I had the forty-five of that. I would just play it over and over and over again, day after day after day. So it was never albums with me. It was, I mean, I bought albums, and every now and then there'd be one that I would dive into as an album, but mostly it was singles and just individual individual tracks. So uh, anyway, I got to you asked about the EP project, and it you know it just made sense to me to do a, a short form thing like that because that's how I listen. To music anyway. I just focus on individual tracks mm-hmm. and singles. So, uh, and then I liked the idea of of doing vinyl records. All mm. of a sudden, they were popular again. People wanted to have them and buy them, you know. And I'm like, oh, I love this, you know, because I never stopped liking vinyl records, albums. Now they call them vinyl records, but... <clears throat> So I decided to do a project like that where it was, I mean, it worked great, you know. It was like there was always, I put out the first one, and then the next one was supposed to come out six months later. So that when the first one comes out, I right away I got to start working on the next one. Mm-hmm. And that went on, you know, for like six cycles. It took three years, and so it was like really great because I always felt like. You were always I, busy. I always felt like I was in the middle of creating something new. And yeah. there was always something new that had just come out. So, you know. Why'd you ever stop? Well, I don't know. It was just kind of designed as a thing to last for a a proscribed amount of time, you know. But it's interesting because I I find that, like, that when you're in that state, you're describing there, like, where you're uh, constantly in the process of working. Mm -hmm. That's, like, the, the greatest thing, I feel like, for for people like us or songwriters, singers, yeah. you know, because it's difficult to get all those elements together, like get somebody to put out a record or to be in the studio, to be in that process mm-hmm. is not that easy to get into. You know, there's all kinds of hoops you got to jump through. That's right, yeah. So when you, when you set it up to where you're going to be in that state for the next three years, that's pretty amazing. It was, it, it was really good. It's like I said before, you know, like what I like to do is make records. Yeah. When you, when you do an album, you know, like you write for a couple of years, what my, what my friend David calls research and development. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, uh, and then you go in the studio and how long are you in the studio for? Like four, five, six weeks, you know, yeah. that's how long I would take when I made my albums. And then the record comes out, it's like all that Work it just kind of gets dumped out all at once, and then you start over again. So yeah, and then you the go singles, tour and I'll do all that stuff, yeah. and that's a couple of years, and then you go back in the studio, and then it's like you got to reinvent it all again. Yeah, I mean, I guess if I decided to become a record producer or some other thing like that instead of what I did decide to do, you know, then I could that would be my job to be in the studio all the time. Maybe that's what I should have done, but. I don't really have the temperament to be a producer. I found out <laughs> from trying and and failing at it. I can produce my own stuff. Yeah, I can only do my own stuff at this point. I, it took me a long time to learn that, but I found I could do other people's stuff. Good. I didn't know I could. You know, I didn't know if I would care about somebody else's thing as much as my own. Yeah. But it turned out I did. My ego could easily go into their world and be like, make that the most important thing boy well that's nice yeah it was uh, i was surprised that 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 happened but it did 
Uh-huh. Yeah. That's good. So when's the last, what, what are you working on now? Are you working on new songs? Uh, yes. Again, I hit this glitch today where the whole thing is kind of like. Well, that's, re, that's, that's repackaging stuff, though. Yeah, but. Uh, um, right, it's five albums yeah. that are going to be re-released, but not all at once. Is it the Razor and Tie stuff? Is it? Um, yeah, my Razor and Tie albums are no longer Razor and Tie albums. And those are your favorite albums of yours, right? I heard, uh, I heard you say that. More before. or less, kind of, yeah. yeah. I mean, I do, I'm very fond of them, yeah, the, yeah. Especially this first one that's supposed to come out and then the one after it. Those are two of my best Which ones are albums. those? Which called? one called Miracle of Science. Uh-huh. That's a good record. And then the one after that, <clears throat> is called number four hundred and forty seven, mm-hmm. and that's a really good one too. So those are two where I was What's just with like the really number on thing? it. I couldn't think of an album title. So, you, but so you just <laughs> random number, or did the number? Yeah, have it's a ran- random number. I thought, well, it's a little bit of a joke too, you know, because I thought of groups like Toto or or Chicago, you know, groups that just would number their albums. Uh-huh. Which I always thought was kind of lazy-minded. Right. <laughs> Not, you know, with all due respect to, to them, those guys. Uh, but anyhow, I couldn't think of an album title. So I thought, well, okay, how about a number? And it was supposed to be a joke. Like, which album of this is mine? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's number 447. Right. That's it. I was going to call it, this is true, I was going to call it number 448. But the guy... Uh, Cliff, or was it Craig? Craig Balsam at Razor and Tie. He goes, well, why don't you call it number 447? You know, I said, well, why? What difference does it make? And he goes, well, you know, 447 is a primary number. Mm-hmm. I said, what's that? And he says, it can't be divided by any other number. I said, oh, okay. But he was wrong about that. Oh, uh, okay. It can be divided by 13. Weird. <laughs> I mean, do you ever analyze numbers? I, you know, I'm not that smart. Why do you got? You don't got to be smart to analyze numbers. Like <laughs> I don't know. You do see, I, like I, I, if you see, like numbers. three, three, three all the time, or uh, get the idea that the universe is trying to communicate to you through numbers or any of that kind of uh, thing. You're seeing recurring numbers. No. How about you? Yeah. Okay. Like all the time. Give me an example. Well, lately I've been seeing 69 all over the place. Uh-huh. And then I'll look it up on Google and be like, you know, obviously aside from the obvious jokes that could come from 69, but it means like transformation. It does it's not necessarily a good thing, you know. Oh, yeah, okay. just like wow. stuff like that, analyzing numbers. You know? No, not yet. No. But well, uh, you probably maybe won't. Maybe I'll start. Nah. <laughs> Seems like if it would have happened already. But um so anyway, you, I'm sorry. Let, let me just finish that answer. Yes, I'm working on that, you know, the reissues. And then with each one, there's supposed to be a, with each one, there's supposed to be a new single. Like oh. I committed to the, you know, I made a commitment to make new tr- new tracks uh, uh, to go with each album that comes out. That's just the pipes. The ghosts and the pipes. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. We just ignore it? Yeah, we just yeah, ignore it'll, it. It'll okay. Go away, yeah. yeah. Okay. But so, oh, so this is kind of similar in that you're setting up like uh, a way to be actively creative on, that's a, right. on a more regular basis. And that's how I do it now is I tell somebody that I'm going to do it. Yeah. And then they say, well, okay, where is it? You said you were going to do it. So yeah. I make myself do it that way by telling, making a commitment to do it. 
And I don't just sit around and write a song, you know. And that's, I, w- I mean, unfortunately, but just, I have to pressure myself into doing it. Yeah. That makes sense, though. Are you a procrastinator? Uh, no. Nuh-uh. When no. I have a deadline, I, uh, then I, you know, then I... I mean, if there's no, then de- I, de- there's I get no into deadline, like, then you don't push yourself. No, because you know what I do if if there's no deadline is I is I overthink and overthink and 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 then I procrastinate. Mm-hmm. But if there's a deadline, then I I I don't put it I don't put it off. I get it done and I make sure that I like it too. So it, it's a good you know thing for me to a good way for me to trick myself into doing something to the best of my ability. Do you record at home? I do a lot of that. Yeah. What do you record on? I just have a bunch of junk. I have like Pro Tools version seven. Oh, good. I have a the updated one then. <laughs> yep, I have a computer that I bought in eighty six twenty eight twenty oh eight. Yeah, right. But I do have good microphones uh-huh. and uh, you know good some good outboard gear. I can you know I can do all right with it. You make complete records at home. I can. Put, yeah. Put yeah. My favorite is like my album. Miracle of Science is a hybrid, you know, about half of it I did by myself. There are a couple tracks that I did by myself, but there's also some really great kind of group stuff going on. I went down to Nashville and worked with some friends of mine down there, a guy named Brad Jones, who's a uh, really brilliant, uh, yeah, good producer, great producer. He works with a lot of different people. And then uh, a guy named Bill Lloyd, from Foster and Lloyd and uh, just this whole little crew of musicians that was down there at that time and uh, it was a gas you know playing so th- that album is is a, is a hybrid of my solitary genius thing and the group group, group activity group dynamic yeah. what year what year did you make that one 1995 oh okay yeah Ninety six, ninety five, in there somewhere. I have two questions, uh, if I may. Okay. One is he mentioned the Dick Clark show, um, and I watched that interview last night, and it is pretty funny, but not because of you. What I found funny, and I wanted to ask, was Dick Clark made a comment, like a snide comment. Yeah, oh, he was. A- <laughs> why didn't you use an American producer? Why did you have to go with a British guy? And the British guy that you used was Steve Lillywhite. Right. I that's mean, it. So how did you get him to produce your first album back then? Was he already big back then? He no, that was my second album, the one that Steve oh, okay. Lillywhite did. And you know, yes and no because he was uh, he he had a lot of success in England, but like the people at Warner Brothers and Burbank had never heard of him, you know. And uh, I remember when we were in the studio doing the record, there was a review. I used to buy this paper every week called the New Musical Express, NME. NME. I'd read it cover to cover. This, that went on for like six or seven years. That used to be the internet. Now it's on the internet. Yeah. No, I said that used to be the internet. That was like. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was the internet. That's right. You know? yeah, yep. And, uh, anyway, uh, I remember when we were in the studio working on Field Day with Steve, there was a review of... Uh, the new U2 album that was about to come out. Mm-hmm. War. That was the third album, I think. And that was kind of the one that got his name going, you know, over here. But uh, 
But I like, you know, I, I liked, um, there was Generals and Majors by XTC, and there was one called Hong Kong Garden by Susie and the Banshees, and I Will Follow by U2. This is like, these are old records now, but, you know, at the time they hit, they were, they were really pretty striking. And uh, so I just, we just asked him to do it, you know, and sent him some stuff. He liked our stuff. We met him and immediately liked him. He's a great guy. And uh, we all just hit it off. That's all. It was what, that simple. What did you, you know, learn? Huh? What did you learn from working with him? Did you learn Did you learn anything? What did I learn? Well, I, you know, techniques? I paid attention to what he was doing. What did know? he do? He just had a lot of really kind of, he just had a spirit of adventure. He knew a lot of stuff. You know, he'd been trained as an engineer and before that as a tape op. And went through that whole kind of British recording studio training uh-huh. thing. But, uh, you know, he just, there was one thing he did. We were at the power station, which is still kind of up and running, I think, which is nice. But uh, in, the, in this big room with the walls, you know, all kind of unfinished wood, beautiful sounding room. And, uh, you know, we want, he wanted to do everything in layers. Uh, Overdubs? Everything. Really? That's Even so the drums separate from the cymbals. Yeah, I've heard people do that shit. Yeah. yeah. I mean, now, you know, after that, he kind of moved away from that whole thing and got into doing, like, live ensemble stuff. But, but at this time, his rule was just like, you know, let's, let's make sure we got this right, and then we'll go on to this. And, you know, that was, so we did it that way. And... Uh, when he was doing the drums, he had this microphone up in the ceiling of the place, and it was uh, gated. Like the you know the sound from that microphone was like smashed mm-hmm. with a compressor and then gated. Yeah. So whenever my brother would hit a drum, it would open up. It was every drum. Yeah. Explosive. explosive. So then he blends that in, right? Yeah, you gotta you know sneak it in. Maybe you snuck it in a little too much, or maybe I told him to sneak it in a little too much, but. Uh, just a lot of things. The other thing that was cool about uh, the power station for me is that they had tube equipment by the ton, and that was rare at that time. You know, like coming out of the 70s, people used to take their tube equipment during the 70s and, like, you know, Fairchild compressor and, like, set it out for the trash man. That's crazy. To bring the solid, the new solid-state stuff in, you know. Uh-uh. And then it was starting to switch. <laughs> yeah, and it was starting to switch back in the early 80s but power station was ahead of the curve because they had in every one of their control rooms they had this these racks full of Pultec eqs right so everything on that album went through these tube equalizers yeah. that's another reason why i love field day is it just has that that sound you know that i was missing on my first album because there was no tube equipment in uh the record plant at that time they just laughed at it and uh Anyway, I, I did. I mean, I did state. learn a lot. It's hard for me to exactly say that I learned this and this, but I just, I just really liked his approach and I liked his taste. Yeah. And uh, and he was really a fun guy. You know. Still in touch with him. Not so much, no. But I did. Uh, I sought him out about five years ago, because whenever I'd read an interview with him, somebody would ask him about my album. Mm-hmm. And Steve would say, oh, you know, I, I, I guess I just sort of like steered him in the wrong direction or something like that. And I just thought, you didn't steer me. 
in any wrong direction, you know. Uh, there was never anything that happened on that record that I wasn't, you know, it was all good to me, otherwise it would have gotten changed. I was the one, actually, it was my fault that, you know, people, like the vocals maybe down a little, I say this now, like maybe the vocal is down a little bit from where it should be, but that was me. I'm just kind of telling them, you know, pull it into the track a little more because I didn't like the sound of my voice, right? Right. That whole stupidity, but uh, anyway, I sought him out because I said, we got to talk about this, you know, like you're saying this whole thing over and over again. I think that he got brainwashed by the reviews. Right. Myself. I hope that, you know, he doesn't hear this or see this and think I'm saying something I shouldn't say, but... It doesn't sound like you're bashing him or anything. I'm not. It's just like you're talking about how we control the narrative in a way, or like we keep repeating similar stories, and that's what defines reality, and you're just like, hey, let's change that reality into like, this was a great album. Mm -hmm. Fuck it. Doesn't, you know... That's the reality. Just because it got misunderstood to by a certain number of people uh -huh. at the time. So I did, no I deal. sought him out, we had lunch. It was great, you know, we had a nice time. Where, where would you, where'd you go? Well, this, this is interesting. He was in New York at that time. Uh -huh. But the last thing I heard about him was that he had moved to Jakarta, Indonesia. Mm -hmm. One of the last places on earth where people still buy CDs wow. or did then. And he got like deep into this whole record making thing in Indonesia, you know, like kind of took over a little bit, you know. He took over the Indonesian record. Well, he had a label deal, believe it or not. I read this in the New York Times. It's not like a secret or anything, but he, he had right. a label deal with Kentucky Fried Chicken uh -huh. in Indonesia because they were selling CDs at the KFC stores, and he was producing the <laughs> records. Follow the money. By, like, local rock. Anyway, yeah, he just seemed follow the money over to Indonesia, but he said that he, it was great and he really loved it and that the music was interesting, which I'm sure it is. Mm -hmm. And uh, I haven't heard any of those records. I should maybe... I don't know why. I, I should check some out. Maybe they're cool, you know. That's just so weird. Steve Lillywhite, Kentucky Fried Chicken in Indonesia. <laughs> Isn't it? That's very but odd. He, he <laughs> Google search right yeah, there. Yeah, there's, there's your Google search homework right there. But, I mean, you know, he was really hardcore about the whole thing. The You know how albums were being devalued. Mm -hmm. It's just like it really offended him. I read in the same interview... Or an inter interview I read, he was just was going off about like, what's not to like about this? You know, you put it on, if it may, it'll make you happy if you're sad. It'll, I mean, you know, this is just a real believer, like a hardcore believer mm -hmm. in the form. And he just was going to, wherever that form is accepted, I'm going to go there. Wherever in the world <laughs> I can do my thing, I'm going to, you know, and I, it's like, that's wild. It's a real commitment, you know, like. That is wild. Yeah. I didn't even know that existed. <laughs> but that's pretty funny. I lo you know, I really like him, and uh, I loved working with him. When you talked to him and you guys had lunch or whatever, and, and did he go, yeah, okay, let me change the narrative the way I speak on that then, or did, did it take, or what, how, what was that like? Maybe. I, I think, yeah, a little bit, sort mm -hmm. of. Yeah. He dialed, he dialed it in that, a different direction a little bit. Yeah. You know? But I love, you know, every time anybody interviews him, it comes up. Yeah. And I'm like, wow. See, that, that, that's a record 
that's uh, still treasured by people that love it, you know? Yeah. That's cool that you've gotten to do things that people treasure. It's nice, isn't it? I mean, it is nice, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Do you practice gratitude or anything like that? Or do you have do you strive towards that? How do you keep your spirit up? Um do I strive towards it? No, I just feel it, you know. I am it is a, I do have a sense of gratitude. Yeah. About the way things have turned out, definitely. And humility is a big thing too, you know. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean people that don't have humility they're bad people, you know. I don't even know anybody like that, I don't think. Well, no, I probably do. Well, we see people like that in public yeah. life who don't have any humility. I mean, life is just so any... humiliating. So I don't, <laughs> like, I don't know how anybody skirts it. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, gratitude, humility, yeah, those are things I believe in, definitely. Do you have a kind of uh, any practices that help keep your life together, like exercise routines or meditation or any? thing like that how about you yeah oh yeah like tell I, me about it i go to yoga every day and i box you box yeah i don't have the balls <laughs> you don't need balls to box you, well, I don't you, need, balls, the face. you need balls to spar okay but you don't need balls to learn how to box okay yeah you it's a it's a wonderful practice it's the sweet science that's what they call it yeah yeah it's a lot science. like learning how to play guitar yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a technique, but you know, you engage your mind. The the mind arose to facilitate movement. That's what that's what a biologist told me. And Where do you go to spar? I go to Trinity. Okay. Downtown, down uh, in Tribeca. Is Gleason's gym still? Uh huh. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Because I was taken there one time. Is that Dumbo? By somebody. Yeah. We we watched Jerry Cooney. Oh, Remember okay. him? Yeah. He was in the ring sparring. Mm hmm. Just one day I went there. But do you do anything along those lines? Exercise, <laughs> meditation? I go to the health club, yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I've done that ever since I was a teenager. Yeah. Some, I dropped the ball on it for periods here and there, but mostly I've stuck with it. Yeah, so I exercise. I walk the dog. Keep it basic. I walked here from Penn Station. Oh, really? Yeah. Nice. So, yeah, whenever I'm in New York City, I Where walk. do you live? I live in a town called Rhinebeck. Rhinebeck? Rhinebeck, yeah, Dutchess up, County. Is that upstate? It's upstate. I live upstate. What do you think of it there? What do I what? You like it up there? I do, yeah. I love it. I didn't intend to live there and stay, and but now I've lived there most of my life. Really? Yeah. Well, how, so, how'd you wind up there? Well, we were living in the East Village and just stuff was converging in a certain way that made me decide that we should get the F out. But it was never intended to stay away permanently. Uh -huh. But we found, you know, like a friend of a, ma a manager that I had then knew somebody who was renting a house in Woodstock, and we went up and looked at the house, and it was great. It was on 18 acres, and the rent was <clears throat> half as much as my duplex in the East Village. Yeah for this house on 18 acres and so we moved in you we you and your wife i'm yeah my You're wife ma married i've been married since before i was born really <laughs> almost yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so over 60 years married might as well be <laughs> might as well be <laughs> so we, we moved yeah we means me me and i her name is i own 
Ion? Ion, I-O-N-E, yeah. So yeah. we moved up to Woodstock, and now we're in Rhinebeck, which is not Woodstock, but it's like, here's, here's Woodstock, here's the Rhinecliff Bridge over the Hudson River, mm-hmm. and here's Rhinebeck. So we're in the same Lateral region. move, lateral move. That's right. We made a lateral <laughs> move to Rhinebeck. Did you ever play with um, Garth Hudson? Did I ever play with him? I played with Levon. Yeah. Uh, you know, I played on one of the Rambles. Uh-huh. 2009, I was on a Ramble. So, I, you know, I played with him then. And another time, too, a recording session for this friend of mine named Christine Ullman. Mm. She uh, had Levon and me and Andy York and some other, you know, Andy York, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, I don't think I ever played with Garth, mm. but, uh, you know, I've met him and... Uh, been in his in his midst in his presence yeah. i was on a couple of shows with rick danko <clears throat> up in woodstock mm-hmm. so i had you know some contact with that whole crowd of people yeah the reason i ask is because uh garth was on one of my records i made up up in catskill at this studio called old soul kenny's studio up there wow you ever seen that studio no uh but so you must have been like what what year was that that you moved up there we moved up at the beginning of 1987. Oh, okay. Wow. What was the scene like up there? Was it like thriving artists and freaks and all that? Or no, I mean yes, but yes, but no. I mean there was like there was a, there had been like a live music scene. Yeah. Earlier in the 70s, but it wasn't kind of happening anymore. When I moved up there, there was one club, and I don't even remember the name of it anymore. Right. But it, they were they would have they were having disco night one night a week like disco finally made it up there, mm. uh, you know it's, it's stu- strange that I don't remember the name of the club, but it you know like um, I went there once or twice and I, when I would go in the bathroom they would have uh, posters on the wall from previous gigs and there was like you know Charles Mingus had played there and all these singer songwriter Tim Harden and everything like that mm-hmm. Steve Forbit. Well, no, he's my, that's my peer group, <laughs> Steve Forbert. You know? Yeah, I would always see him in the singer-songwriter's rooms. Mm. What was it like moving up there from, up? I mean, from being in the East Village? Was that a transition? It was. It was, like, was, it that was crazy really jarring, or? yeah. I was, Did you, you freak know, out or were you all right with it? Obviously, I guess you were all right with it. All right with it, yeah. But, I mean, it was a beautiful place to go to, you know, like when... The house we lived in and the whole spread, it was really But that's such a crazy really nice. shift that a lot of people do do. Like they're, like they're used to being in the East Village or in the midst of Manhattan, and suddenly they're like in this rural. It happens a lot. It was tougher for Ion than it was for me because she was there all the time. Uh-huh. Like I would go on the road still, or I'd go down to the city yeah for this that and the other thing but she was just there you know i kind of it was just like that fucking show green acres you know goodbye city life you know that one <laughs> no you don't. i don't Hang know on. so how about your book the book about movies and uh rock and roll and movies that was uh just a kind of an oddball side project that i did but i wasn't doing anything else that year yeah, and uh, and it was that was something I learned from. It was fun. Uh, I was uh, my name was on the cover, but I you know I, I wrote maybe like 
I wrote maybe like what five to seven percent of it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, really? Yeah, the, it was a book of film reviews. That's all it was, and uh, oh. but you know, like rock and roll movies. But we're trying to <clears throat> strike a certain attitude with it. Like there was a book that came out around that time called the Psychotronic Film Anthology about like underground films mostly and indie films and with Hollywood rock we wanted to put the spotlight on that stuff too because you know the in, the underground stuff is always just as important as the popular stuff you know yeah. anyhow uh, there were maybe like 350 film reviews in this book just little short one two paragraph things and I wrote uh, maybe a dozen of them mm-hmm. but I was kind of like the I was the I was really overseeing the whole thing and working with a guy named David Rubel. He's a book pre- book packager. The whole thing was his idea. But it was fun. I did, I did that. You just reminded me to talk about my other side project that I'm doing right now. Let's talk about it. I might as well. I'm, you know, I'm working on a documentary film, and that's a, a real odd left turn, but I got the idea to do it one day back in 2013 mm-hmm. and I decided that I was going to do it and that was it you know like I told myself I was going to do it so a documentary about you nope it's about a record producer who's a tiny teeny little bit famous but should be much more famous and his name was Tom Wilson okay yeah he produced Bob Dylan right produced Bob Dylan there's like six or seven bullet points in his legacy and with each one of them, you could point to it and, and say, wow, this guy changed popular music. Mm-hmm. But with him, there are like a half dozen of them. Mm-hmm. But they're all like, really? You know, like, how come I never heard of this guy who did that? Oh, how come I never heard of this guy who did that? But he did all of them. Mm-hmm. So he's very important. What else? Bob Dylan and then what else? Well, uh, first thing he did in the, in the music business was he attempted to launch a I should say he attempted to establish a record label. He, he, he launched it. It lasted about a year and a half. It was a label called Transition Records, mainly a jazz label. And uh, he put out the first album by Cecil Taylor. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then he put out the first uh, album by Sun Ra and the orchestra That's that crazy. wasn't a self-release. So, he, he, so you, he, Wilson discovered... Cecil Taylor and Sun Ra Mm -hmm. and you know it's it's underground to a lot of people but those two are like those are monumental artists right there so he discovered them quote unquote then uh, drifted a little bit continued in jazz you know and worked with everybody produced some jazz records that either are classics or should be you know a couple that are like underground classics but then uh, he got hooked up he got a job at Columbia Records, <clears throat> and uh, they assigned him to work with Bob Dylan on Dylan's second album. You know, another, like Dylan another wasn't. Another side of Bob Dylan is that? It's called uh, the Freewheeling Bob Dylan. Oh, the Dylan. Freewheeling, oh, such yeah. an amazing album. Yeah, that was Dylan's second album. You yeah. Know? So Wilson came in on the last session for that album. Like the whole thing took about a year to record. Just a session here one another one like four or five months late you know what i mean they were spread out over a year he was you know dylan was like struggling to finish the album and he wasn't you know he wasn't his first album sold 
you know, like 10,000 copies. Mm -hmm. So he didn't have any clout at the label. They would, you know, they would let him in the studio whenever they wanted to or whenever he could get to, to the studio. And then sessions back then were three hours and then you had to get out and make way for somebody else. And anyway, enough of that. But anyway, Wilson came in as Dylan's producer at the end of that album and then he continued with him through to like a rolling stone right so you understand there's a, a, tra a transition from folk troubadour to like a to rock star right yeah not only that but yeah because tom wilson did blonde on blonde and highway 61 no he was out he? by no. then oh he was but, out by yeah then. he was bringing but he it did all a, uh bringing it all back home okay another side of bob dylan all right times they are a change in, and free i mean i just said it in reverse order what I should say is he took him from Masters of War to like a Rolling Stone. Mm -hmm. So that's a big, you know, and, you know, that, that there have been a lot of times over the years when Bob Dylan has, like, shook up popular music, mm -hmm. right? But that span of stuff just really turned the world upside down Yeah, when, when he was with Tom Wilson. And uh, so that was this other thing that Wilson also... Um, discovered Simon and Garfunkel, That's, you might say. He kind of caused them to become Simon and Garfunkel. They'd worked together as kids. You know, Simon and Garfunkel, they did some records, called themselves Tom and Jerry oh, yeah. when they were in high school. But then the Simon and Garfunkel thing happened because of Tom Wilson. You know, he's the one that opened the door for, for them to get on to make records. And... Uh, they did an acoustic album, like, you know, folk album that had Sounds of Silence on it. And then the album stiffed. They went their separate ways. But then a few months later, Wilson took Sounds of Silence into the studio and overdubbed rock instrumentation onto it. And that's right. the version that we know. That's interesting. Well, what's crazy is he did that overdub. If I, you know, if I'm not mistaken... He did that overdub session one morning in June of 1965, and then that afternoon he produced like a Rolling Stone. Is that right? So that's a pretty good day for a record producer. <laughs> that's not bad. And he also had one foot out the door at Columbia Records at that time. So that was one of the very last sessions that he did for the label. So on his way out the door, he is like two number one records, but not just number one records. These are records that, that just changed popular music, those right. two. So he's just like on his way out the door. He's like, oh, here you go. Have these yeah. as I'm leaving you, you know. So then he went over to. And just real quick on that Sounds of Silence overdub thing. You can hear that those drums are put on later. Oh, yeah. You can hear it. Uh-huh. It's something that I actually like about that record, too. Oh, yeah, for sure. Oddly, that helps it. I don't know why. Yeah, it kind of jerks around a little bit. Yeah, but it's it makes, it's appealing. Yeah. And I listened to the four track tape not only that but i listened to all the takes of sounds of silence from the folk album mm -hmm. like the there's like i guess like 10 takes are those available no i i got led into the oh wow I, you know I've, I've been i've done a lot of research that would i if i told you about it, it would blow your mind and that was one of the things that blew my mind you know uh to hear that tape but uh we're here for our minds to be blown. You, you can tell us. <laughs> well, some of it I don't think I'm supposed to talk about it yet. But uh, uh. anyway, I, I did. I will talk about this. I, I listened to all the different takes of uh, "Sounds of Silence" from the folk album, and in between, there's no piano on it. There's just bass and maybe 
two guitars, mainly Paul Simon's guitar, but in between takes, he's retuning his guitar and not to a piano or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So by the time he gets to take number 10, the guitar is not exactly where it was on take number one, mm -hmm. but the master is a composite master. Mm -hmm. It's like three different takes cut together. Yeah. So when the electric guitar players came in to try to overdub onto this track, they couldn't get in tune right. with it. So you listen to just the electric guitars by themselves on the four-track tape, and it just sounds like a buzzing beehive mm -hmm. of, uh, of you know, out-of-tuneness. But when you put it all together and throw a ton of chamber echo on it, it sounds beautiful, you know, to me anyway. Yeah. Or to everybody. Everybody loves that record. I think that the imperfections are what make things like that interesting. Sure. Yeah. So anyway, he did that. Then he went over to MGM Verve, <clears throat> and uh, the first two signings over there were uh, the Velvet Underground and uh, Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention. That's crazy. And I've we've confirmed now that without Tom Wilson, both of those acts were dead in the water. Like nobody was going to touch the Velvet Underground. Nobody was going to touch Zappa. In fact, Zappa, he was the, he was the only one out of all the A-list rock stars that worked with Wilson, who already was a fan of Tom Wilson, because Cecil, Cecil Taylor was one of Zappa's heroes. But anyway, in, in early interviews, Zappa said you know, I, that he was glad that they got turned down by everybody, because that, that way they wound up with Tom Wilson, who's the only person on earth who was going to get them, you know? Right. So, so that was another, the other thing. The Velvet Underground, again, they were dead without Wilson. And then uh, Zappa, and then what's the other one? There's other ones besides that. That's I enough, forget. right there. <laughs> yeah, totally. So, so he was a giant, in other words. Yeah. But like, who knows? Nobody. Yeah, you know, everybody can name like five or six record producers. Nobody talks about him. No, and he's like very important, you know. I guess he needed a better publicist. Well, in his time, he had some media visibility. Yeah. And uh, there was a cover story about him in the New York Times Magazine. And he was, uh, he, there, I found a lot of, you know, press. And he also did a syndicated radio show for a while. But something happened with him, you know. He just kind of dropped off the face of the earth. And his story is, you know, really a vital story. How far along are you in the documentary? Far along. This this is the year when the movie is going to get made. Oh, great! Yeah, uh, that's you know that's so I'm doing that, and that's like that's it. Really, kind of like a engrossing. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, sounds like it. I've been really hung up on that. Ever sounds since like I a good idea it. too. I think it's going to be really cool. Yeah, it is. What are you going to call that? I don't know. I'm not going to direct it. You know, I've already got like a a team now that I'm just a part of it. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm... You could call it Wilson Picks It. I'm, that is so, fantastic. That's so stupid. No, no. <laughs> no I, mean, like, I have a meeting today. That's I mean, dumb. That's not going to be it, but I love, I love that joke. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really good joke. And how I never thought of that until now, I I, I don't know, but that's good. Are there interviews Wilson on Picks It, it baby. Wilson <laughs> Picks It. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, is there, is there a good question? Is there interviews is, with are him? Are Paul and Art on it? Talk yeah. Oh uh, well, 
not yet, but uh, okay. but yeah, interviews with him. Yeah, there, I found a lot. I found some film of him. Yeah, and uh, a lot of audio recordings. There's a really great interview with him, where he just uh, kind of explains things that happened from his point of view. You know, when I found that interview, I was like, oh, that's one of the those things. The Holy Grail. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I would be. I love those Bob Dylan records too. I would be curious to hear Bob talk about how he, if what it was like working with Tom Wilson or yeah, how much influence he had. They've over been the process. They've been just absolutely amazing about it. Oh, really? Really? Yeah. Bob uh, has. Well, you know, there. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it's him indirectly, but you know, I've just it's, they've just been really nice and. I think they want it to happen, you know. Like yeah. they, really, they really want it to happen, I think. That's great. I'll tell you more after the camera's not rolling. Okay. <laughs> well, I've, I, I, I've loved doing this. It's like I, just, I really I feel very confident about it now. I know, of course, any time it could just flip upside down and ruin my life. But What? Because just that's the way things go, you know. What like, could ruin your life? The movie project. Oh, the movie project. But I've really loved it up till now. It's been a yeah. gas, you know. Who, I, who, I think it's going to be. It's going to happen this year. Who are your favorite artists or your favorite songwriters? Who are like some of your biggest influences? <laughs> God, uh, well, Dylan is a big influence. It, yeah, I was kind of getting into that. I was it's, never like a fanatic, <clears throat> but I mean, no, you know, he definitely. A lot of people will say that you know, you know, I was young and impressionable when I heard that stuff mm -hmm. for the first time. So yeah, it really kind of shaped. That's one of the things that shaped my worldview. Mm. Also, because he was such a big, you know, he was such an original thinker when he first came on the scene, and he just like really shook up the world, you know. So that he was big. Uh, Buddy Holly still. Um, Jimi Hendrix, you know, like all the kind of banner names from the '50s and '60s. Uh, but I mean, like songwriters, you know, there's like so many. There's a guy called Percy Mayfield. Have you ever heard of his any mm. of his songs? Mm -mm. You should check him out. He's okay. one of the best songwriters that ever lived. Percy Mayfield. Percy Mayfield. Yeah, he did a song back in the late '40s called uh, "Please Send Me Someone to Love." Uh huh. Just check this song out. Okay. It's like it's so profound for its time. And uh, I will. Anyway, he's great. Uh, I don't know. Harlan Howard is another one. If you don't know his stuff, you should check him out. Okay. Uh, Brian Wilson. I went to school on him for a while. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's always great. I mean, there are always great people on the scene. Yeah. You know, and I've. I, really like your stuff too you're, oh thanks you're really man great. thank you you know i'm not like real in the loop all the time with you know year year after year i don't really but i'm you know i'm kind of got my ear open to stuff there are a lot of records i like that kind of fall outside of the uh you know like there's no not really song craft involved yeah like there's this album that i really like this is a pretty well-known album but it's called donuts by Jay Dilla. Uh. This is a record that's really been influential in the past few years, and it's like it's kind of sound collage. It's rooted in hip hop. Yeah. 
I like stuff. Uh, there's like another guy that I, re- I heard about this guy from New Yorker magazine, a guy called Mad Lib. Mm-hmm. I like a lot of stuff like that. I like a lot of jazzy stuff. And uh, and I don't know. It's, uh, it's just my mind goes when somebody asks me right. what music I like. There's just like too much of it. There is too much of it. It's mm-hmm. crazy. Do you have... A, like, I, I'm finding it harder to like concentrate as I go, as I get older, like in terms of just like, I used to have better focus. Uh-huh. Like I could focus on something and see it through. Now I feel like my focus is kind of drifting a little bit. Do you have any issues with that? Yeah. I think it's just information overload. Too much information. I have too much in my head already. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm kind of full up. Yeah. Like as much as I can comprehend is like already in there, but yeah. Again, there's, you know, there's really good stuff all the time. Like a, I heard a little bit of a Britney Howard's record. Mm-hmm. That sounds really fucking good. People say, you know, that there's no vitality left in in rock music, but I don't think that's true. I don't know? think that's true. It's not true at all. It's it's like people aren't really picking up on it, but like the way they used to. But it's still great. Yeah. The music's still alive and well. It's not the music that's not alive and well. Where did your name come from? My grandfather is was Marshall Crenshaw, and my middle name is Howard, which was is my dad. That's a great name, Marshall Crenshaw. Don't you think? Aren't you stoked it's about got it? The, <laughs> it's got like it sounds like legendary. Dude. Yeah, it's kind of musical sounding. Yeah. Too. Plus, there's an SH right in the, right in the middle of both. <laughs> Marshall somebody, Crenshaw. Somebody told me that a long time ago. They're like, "Wow, that's a fucking great name." It is a great name. I mean, you know. <laughs> You didn't have to change it. No. But it is my real name. Yeah. That's a good one. Are there, are there any shows you want to promote? Your tour with the Smithereens, maybe? or I'm out there with the Smithereens. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. that's I love that. That's another story. But uh, anyway, yeah, I fill in. I'm one of the lead singers. I do duty as, as a lead singer with the Smithereens. And... Uh, along with Robin Wilson from the Gin Blossoms. Uh, we're not on stage at the same time, but like he does some of the shows, and I do most of them so far. But anyway, I do that, and I've got my own tour dates with the Bottle Rockets. Have you ever heard of them? Mm-mm. They're a great rock band, one of the best. And uh, Brian Henneman, there's a great songwriter right there, Brian Henneman of the Bottle Rockets. I, I think I have heard of them, actually, mm-hmm. now that you say that. He was with Wilco for half a minute. He was on their first album. Mm-hmm. He was in the band for a blink of an eye, but then he went off and started the Bottle Rockets. But um, I've toured with them every year since 2011. Wow. I do like a couple months every year with them. Usually come to City Winery in New York. I see you play with them there a lot. Yeah. I don't think there is a City Winery right this minute. Not though. right, Not right this minute. Yeah. We're going to play somewhere in New York, I think. But... Well, we're at the City Winery in D.C., me and the Bottle Rockets, and I think the City Winery in Philly, too. I just played there with a trio. Do you like, I'm being, playing, you know, I'm do you like being on the road? I don't like being on the road, no, but no. I like playing shows. I, yeah. I, I, I think more, mostly I'm going to keep it in the Northeast mm-hmm. as, you know, going forward, because I just was in the Midwest, drove through a blizzard one day. I didn't like that. You go to Europe? Nope, I never really got a toehold there. No? 
No. How about you? I, yeah, that's yeah, where you, of course. Everybody but me. <laughs> my thing started there. I'm what? Fr- my thing started in France. Oh, cut it out. I got I got popular in France. Well, and no, so I, I toured France a lot. But it didn't I'm, work out. I'm trying to get back there. You know, I'm supposed to go. I'm supposed France to France is maybe my favorite country. Yeah, it's beautiful. Other than the French people, right? Yeah. They don't take any shit. They're amazing. <laughs> they and got they, balls. I really And they like, like the intense art. They like, you know, they're intense. Yeah. They're passionate. Uh-huh. No, yeah. I would love it if I was going there on any kind of regular basis. But no, I never got anything started over there. Not yet. Still time. If there really was a shot at it, I would. I would. That's someplace I would travel to. Yeah. It, you know, it would be worth it to me just on a self-satisfaction kind of level. But I'm not going to go over there and kill myself over trying to do it now. You know. No. Nah. But if the door kind of opened, I would go. Yeah. Is there things that you think about? Like, I wish I knew uh, then what I know now. Like, with your early career, any kind of. A lot, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Mainly that I should have just been more grateful for everything. Uh-huh. Like I was a little too like entitled in some kind of way. Yeah. But like your ego almost has to sort of facilitate your rising to these different stations, I feel like. So it, it bolsters you up in these kind of phony ways, maybe in a way that, uh-huh. that make you kind of like not handle things as well as you would have liked to for sure right yeah absolutely i mean you got to have self-belief in the first place to go out the door in the morning you know and yeah just even every single second and you have to have you know everybody's you know got some kind of actually i think it's healthy to have at least some narcissism well there's healthy narcissism yeah it only gets unhealthy when you're trying to destroy others in oh a, yeah, in a covert way. And but when you're young, you don't know how to control all of that. No. Yeah. So yeah, the, what you said, I, you know, I wish that I knew more about that yeah. thing in particular. Uh, but the other thing, if I could, you know, talk to myself from back then, yeah, I would say just try it. Don't worry, okay? Yeah, don't worry. Don't think that you're that you're fucked because you're not. You know, just wow. keep marching. That's what I would have said to myself back then. I, I, I hope you're saying that to me right now. I am. I'm taking that. If you on. want to take it that way, I want to you take. Can. Don't worry, you're not fucked. Because half the time, I'm like, you walk around worried that you're fucked. No. Right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, no. I, I mean, I, I don't. You know, I'll take I don't know. it. I'll take it. I mean, no. You, yeah. If you want to take it that way, I'm gonna I would, take it that way. I would. Yeah. Because you know you're talented. Yeah. And you're. You figure it out. I'll figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> You're already figuring it out. I'm figuring it out. Yeah. Yeah, we're working on it. <laughs> yeah, I got a new album working on too, so you know, working on a song and then like, you know, singing it all night last night and going like, is this any good? <laughs> At the end, you know, but you just got to I think you just got to do a lot of stuff. I think if don't uh-huh. overthink it in the moment, just keep going and just yeah. keep yeah, putting yeah. it out there, you know. I guess, yeah, that's that's the thing. When, when you really do the good stuff is when you get to that point where you're just like, you're not going to fuss over it anymore. Yeah. Maybe you were fussing over it, but now you've gotten through all that and you're just like, okay, yeah. up, 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 you know. And, you know, that's as much as I know about it. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast, <laughs> yeah. man. It's actually down. really good. Okay. <laughs> I, I know you're like in a little bit of a zone because of the 
issues with the re-release, but it's it was awesome, everything that you talked about. Thank you, Joseph, and yeah. thanks for asking me. Yeah, know, man. I really appreciate You're your great, interest. You're a great, great artist, and we appreciate you coming on. Great guest. Yeah. Thank you, fellas. Thanks, brother. Have a great day, and I hope uh, that re-release comes out strong yeah, and good. Yeah, that's a good thought. Okay. It will. It'll come out the way it's supposed to. It will, yeah. Well, just take your own advice. Don't worry. You're not fucked. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Hi, this is Joseph Arthur. Thanks for checking out Come to Where I'm From. Please support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash come to where I'm from. We are an independent podcast and any contributions you can make are greatly appreciated.